Thank you, Ken. Well, good morning again. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, my, my name is Travis, and I have the, uh, the joy and, and the pleasure of serving as the pastor here. And uh, we uh, are in a, a series that we are calling the church. You can see there, the church, the gospel made visible. This is uh, week four of this series. And in this series, we, we are really laying, uh, seeking to lay a biblical foundation uh, for what the church is supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to focus on as we set out uh, to launch on our own uh, in the new year. And, and just to be clear, when I, when I say that, what I mean, uh, I think most of y'all know this, but in case there's some that, that don't, what we are doing here as the church at Haynes Creek is I don't most of you probably know this, but we started as a campus of First Baptist Covington. Uh, we have continued to be a campus of First Baptist uh, for the first five years in the life of this church. But uh, what a year ago, year and a half ago, this church voted unanimously uh, to say that that we are no longer going to be a campus. We we are striking out on our own, planting a new church, the church at Haynes Creek. We, we're going to separate from First Baptist, no longer being a com, uh, a campus but planting a new church. So that's what we're trying to do. And typically, when you plant a new church, what you do is uh, somebody sets out to plant a new church, and you, you try to gather as many people as you can with this crazy idea of starting a brand new church from nothing. And then you have this period of time uh, of preparation. You typically call it uh, the core group phase, the launch phase, whatever words you want to put on that. But you have a group of people gathered together where you're, you're praying, you're trying to lay this foundation of what you're going to be as a church, what services are going to look like, how you're going to operate, how you're going to function, trying to figure this whole thing out. And then you set a date some point in the near future of that core group phase, and you say, this, this is the date that we are launching this church, it's making it official. We are officially a church from this point going forward, and that's the phase that we're in. So I, I know it's been a little different starting out as a campus than rolling off on your own, but what we're doing right now, this is the core group phase. You are the launch team. These, these are the people, look around, these are the people that the Lord has, has brought in to start a new work of the gospel. And that should be exciting for all of us. I, uh, they say that one of the most effective means of evangelism is, is planning a new church. And as we talked about last week, this county that we're in is in desperate need of the gospel. And what better way to reach people than by starting a new church? This is what we're doing. Uh, so I want you to look around. This, this is our launch team. This is the season that we're in. This is, the, this is the time of preparation. This is why we're spending time with these core biblical truths, going through these key passages about the church. We are, we are trying to do this God's way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do this just according to what I want or according to what you want. I don't want it to be about us. I want it to be all about Jesus. We want to do it His way. So that's why we're digging into God's word. What, what do you say about the church? What is the church supposed to be? What's the church supposed to look like? What are we supposed to do when we gather? What are we supposed to do when we scatter around this county? What does it look like? And thankfully, the Lord has a lot to say. So we've been laying this foundation, and here's what we're going to do. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, in, in the, the spirit of launching and planting a new church, seeing ourselves as, as the launch team in this season of preparation, this core group phase, uh, we're going to set a date in January that we are officially launching the church at Haynes Creek. That, that date is going to be the, the stake in the ground, the flag that we're planting and saying from this moment on, we are launching a new church. That's going to be a day of excitement, of celebration, not just what the Lord has done in the past five years, celebrating that, but also looking forward to what the Lord is going to do for the next 50 years plus in the life of this church. 
So we're going to pick a date, we're going to set that date, and then we're going to announce that date to you next Sunday. So we're going to be praying, so we can be preparing, so we can be looking ahead as we plant this new church. You guys excited about that? You guys ready for that? I'm excited. I hope you guys are too. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. So this is what we're doing with this uh, core group phase. This launch phase is just building out a foundation. So we've seen that the foundation of the church is, is Jesus and his word, right? We're supposed to be all about Jesus and his word. And for the last couple of weeks, we talked about the mission of the church. What does it, what does it look like? What does that mean? What are we supposed to do? Well, the Bible tells us clearly three things that we're all supposed to do, not just as individuals, but as the church when we gather. We're, we're to love God, love people, and make disciples. So that's what we're supposed to do. That is our mission. So what we're going to do from this point until the end of this series in January, uh, we're going to flesh that out some more. So what it, practically, what does it look like to love God, love others, and make disciples? So we're going to spend some time talking about serving one another, that, that we're, we're called to serve one another in the church. We're going to talk about what does worship mean? What does worship look like? Why are we supposed to sing? What does this mean? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what it looks like to grow and mature as disciples in Christ. We're going to talk about uh, church leadership. You know, how is how is the, the church supposed to function? How has the, the Lord designed the church to work? What is, what is an elder? What is a deacon? What are they supposed to be doing? What is with these titles? We're going to talk about all of that. So that's where we're going for the next few weeks. I hope you'll uh, be with us and, and be here next week as we announce you our launch date in January so we can all be ready, prayerfully excited uh, about that. So today, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but today is, is what is often referred to as Orphan Sunday. Uh, Orphan Sunday. This is a time uh, for the people, the churches across our nation today to just take a moment and reflect on God's heart for the vulnerable and see what he calls us, his people, to do about that. How, how are we to come alongside and to care for and minister to some of the most vulnerable people in our world and our society? So that's where we're going today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go and open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, good news, you can follow along on the screens behind me or feel free to grab a Bible from our table in the back there. If you don't even own a Bible, uh, please take that home. Consider that uh, our gift to you. I'd love for you to take that with you today. But James chapter 1, uh, we're going to focus in on what, uh, what Ken read for us a few moments ago, verses 26 and 27, uh, but I'll give you a running start before we get there just to give you some context. But James is a letter written by James, hence the name, uh, and James is the brother of Jesus. Half-brother of Jesus wrote this, and he wrote it, you see in the opening verses, he wrote it to Christians that have been scattered all across the Middle East, all across the Mediterranean world at this time. They've been scattered from Jerusalem because of persecution. They've gone all over the place. So they're facing a lot of persecution. Uh, they're in different areas, different worlds, different cultures, all trying to figure out what does it look like for me to live as a follower of Jesus right here where I find myself. So what I love about James is James is extremely practical. It's often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. So he's, he's really trying, again, giving practical advice to Christians, trying to figure out what does it look like for me to live for Jesus right here, right now. And what, what you see James really concerned about is he wants us as believers to practice what we preach. That, that it's, it's not just saying that I'm a Christian. It's asking ourselves constantly, does my life, do my actions match what I claim to believe. So that's where we find ourselves in James chapter 1. So like I said, I'm going to give us a running head start here. I'm going to start in verse 19 and carry it down to verse 27 just to give us some context. So this is starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow 
to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm going to let that sit for a minute. That's good right there. That's convicting. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, the, the scriptures, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26, here's our, our key Verses for today. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, like I said, I want us to focus in on verses 26 and 27. What is James talking about here? Uh, he tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is three things. He says that, that pure and undefiled religion demonstrates itself by controlling our tongue, by visiting orphans and widows, and by remaining unstained from the sinful world around us. So let's just, you know, let's talk about that. Uh, let's define some terms here, make sure we're all on the same page. So when James says the, the word religion, religious, what, what, does he, what does he mean? What is he talking about? I don't know about you, but when I hear the word religion, it brings up certain ideas, right? Like I can tend to think just on a base level, religion is people's set of beliefs. Whatever they believe in, that's their religion. Whatever, you know, God they, they worship, whatever it is, that, that's their religion, but it also, if you grew up in church like I did, uh, it, when you hear religion, it can bring some like negative connotations. I don't know if you, you have that. But when we say religion, it can bring to mind some of these, uh, you know, burdens and extra rules that people may have put on you. Like if you really love God, if you really want to be loved by God, then you'll do these certain things. And if you don't do these certain things, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know about you anymore. Uh, so, that, you know, we can tend to think of, of religion as these extra rules and burdens placed on us. But those, that's not what James is talking about here. That's not what James means. When he talks about the, the term religion or religious, the word that James is using here is really referring to a practical outworking of one's beliefs. So when James is talking about someone's religion, what he's saying is, do your actions match what you believe? Essentially asking, do you practice what you preach? That's what James is asking here. When he uses the word religion, that's what I want us to think of. Are we practicing what we preach? So what James says here is that to demonstrate to the world around us that, that we really are believers, that we really do follow Jesus, we're, we're to control our tongue. We're to care for the vulnerable. And we're to remain unstained. We're, we're to live a holy life before others. So since it's Orphan Sunday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus our, our time today on that call to visit orphans and widows, this, this call to care for the vulnerable. So again, let, let's define some terms here. When James uses that word visit, when he says to visit, uh, what that word means is it's this idea of, of caring for somebody or looking after somebody with the implication of continuous responsibility. That's the word that's being used here. So it's not just to, to visit one time, 
It's not just to do one thing here and there. It's to see this idea of, of I have a continuous responsibility to constantly care for and look after the most vulnerable in our society. And so James points out the orphan and the widow, which, you know, an orphan without any parents and, and a widow without any family, like these are some of the most vulnerable people in James's time. They had no place in society. They, they had no standing in society. They had nobody uh, advocating for them, speaking out for them, making sure that they were cared for. They were just kind of cast aside. And, you know, it, it can be the same today, too. Orphans and widows can be some of the most vulnerable people in our world. But, but James here is kind of using that as a, as a phrase and a way to speak to anybody who's vulnerable in our society, anybody who is cast aside, who is left uncared for, who, who is uh, oppressed and afflicted and mistreated by the world around us. And that can be, you know, a lot of different folks, a lot of different people. So that's, that's the idea that I want us to have. When, when James is talking about visiting orphans and widows, he, he's talking about caring for the vulnerable in our society. So what does it mean to care for those that are vulnerable? What does it look like for us as individual believers and us as a church to care for the vulnerable? So there's three things in this passage that we see about caring for the vulnerable. It's going to set the tone uh, for the rest of our time today. So uh, this passage teaches us three things about caring for the vulnerable. The first one is when we care for the vulnerable, it aligns us with God's heart. It aligns us with God's heart. So all throughout Scripture... All throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout Scripture, we see several verses that, that describe God's heart for the most vulnerable. And also at the same time, not just God's heart, but, but that he calls his people to have that same heart. Calls his people to have the same heart as his for the most vulnerable in our society. So just a few verses, um, I, I narrowed it down from, from several to like seven or eight for you. But just to give you a picture, I'm going I'm to breeze through these. They'll be on the screen behind me, uh, but just keep these in mind as we go throughout the day. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not just you know, saying a statement uh, that's not true. I just want to prove to you that I'm not making this stuff up. So here's some verses uh, throughout Scripture. We see uh, Deuteronomy 10, 18. It says this, He executes justice for the fatherless, the orphan. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And what you see in the Old Testament especially, you see three groups referred to when it's talking about the vulnerable. You see the orphan or the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner. That, that word sojourner is very similar to what we would uh, view today as somebody who's an immigrant or a refugee. They, they've left their place of original home and, and they've traveled to a new place. And God's calling us to care for them. The, the orphan, the widow, the sojourner. Deuteronomy 14, 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So what, what, what incorporates the Lord's blessing? Part of that, caring for the vulnerable. Caring for the vulnerable. Psalm 68, 5, this is how God describes himself. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 82, verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Psalm 146, 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Isaiah 1, 16 through 17, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. 
correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Malachi 3, verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. That's a scary thought, right? The Lord, oh, he's going to draw near. That's nice. For judgment. Okay, that's scary. What is he judging? What is he doing here? I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. When we come to the New Testament, we see this, this idea carried over into the New. We see uh, in, in Acts chapter 6 that the very first deacons that the church ever had, why were the deacons brought up? Why did we start to have deacons in the church? To care for widows, to care for the vulnerable. You see in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, t- uh, Paul writing to Timothy as he serves as pastor at the church of Ephesus gives instructions on how to care for widows, practical advice to care for the vulnerable. We see this all throughout Scripture. Our God has a heart for the vulnerable. And church, as followers of His, as people who, who claim the name of Jesus, if you are a Christian in here, we are to have that same heart. We are to have that same heart for the vulnerable. So we're, we're to display God's heart and character to the world around us, and part of how we do that is caring for the vulnerable. So when we care for the vulnerable, it aligns us with God's heart. Second thing is it gives evidence for our faith. Number two, gives evidence for our faith. James tells us, that to show our religion, again, remember that, that term, religion, means that, that uh, this practical outworking of our faith. What does it look like to live as a Christian? How do we practice what we preach? How do we demonstrate that we're a believer? Part of that is visiting widows and orphans. Part of that is caring for the vulnerable. And look, here's what I want us to get. This is not just a nice suggestion from James. This is not an, an option for us. This is not a, you know, if you have time do this. You know, if you're, if you're able, sure, maybe if you think about it, care for the vulnerable. This is not an optional suggestion from James. He's telling us that then in order to demonstrate our faith to the rest of the world, to have pure and undefiled religion before God and before the world, part of that includes caring for the vulnerable. And he's been building to this with what he said in the previous verses. So I want to go back to that. Let's, let's, let's go back. Looking at verse 22, what does he say here right before he calls us to care for the most vulnerable? He says this, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what what this tells us is true obedience to God, true obedience, 
when we, when we truly want to live for him, it means that, that we, we hear the word of God and we do the word of God. Amen. We listen to the word of God and we seek to walk in obedience to the word of God. And so James says that, that when we just hear the word of God, and we don't actually obey it. We don't actually seek to let it transform and change the way I live. When we just hear it, it's like somebody who looks in a mirror, sees himself, turns around, and immediately forgets what he looked like. It's like, huh, I wonder what I look like today. Let me look in a mirror. Look in a mirror. Okay, that's what I look like. Oh, I wonder what I look like today. I'm going to go look in a mirror. Oh, I look in a mirror. And then I forget. Like, that's what he's talking about. That's what we do. So, something, uh, I don't know if y'all need to know this about me, but, but I'll tell you anyway so you guys can, can pray for my family. Um, something about me is, is I am not very observant. I'm not very observant, and I am not at all impacted by my surroundings. I, I'm just not. That's just not how the good Lord wired me. And, and I, I found this, I, I always knew this to be true, but I didn't know how bad it was until uh, a couple years ago, three years ago or so, maybe I went to a pastor's conference and I sat in one of those breakout sessions and it was all about, uh, you know, helping people connect to volunteer teams. That's what I, one of the things I did in my last position. And uh, one of the ways that this guy recommended they do it is by taking people's personality, kind of how they're wired and helping them find a place to serve that kind of matches that. So he gave us this, this really intensive like personality test. And one of the things that you were scored on was aesthetics. How, how much are you impacted by your environment? And it was a scale of, of zero to 100. So zero, not impacted at all. 100, very impacted. And I scored the high score of 11, of 11. And again, that's not out of 10. That's out of 100. You know, I, I, I see that. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know. That, that's how I am. But again, I didn't know how bad this was until I'm sitting in that class and the guy gets to that section and he's like, oh man, have I got a story for y'all? And he tells about this guy who scored so low on this test. It was the lowest score he's ever seen in the years and years and years of doing this. And he gets to the end of the story talking about how little this guy was impacted. He goes, you know what that guy's score was? A 12. And I've never seen anything lower. And here I am going, Yeah. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, yeah, that's a, that's a low score. All right, you got there. So that, that's just me. That, that's me. That's how I am. And just some, some examples of this around our house. Uh, one of the things that I just really don't notice, light bulbs being out, doesn't bother me because I prefer to have the lights off anyways. You know, it's just how I'm wired. I, I'd prefer it dark. So when a light bulb goes out, I'll never notice that. But thankfully, to keep our, our family out of darkness, uh, the good Lord blessed me with my son, who notices the second a light bulb goes out, and he tells me right away. I call Zayden, our little light bulb police. He's looking at me right now like, Dad, yeah, I know, you're talking about me. Uh, but he does. He, as soon as the light bulb goes out, he comes and he finds me. He's like, Dad, a light bulb's out. Dad, a light bulb's out. And I'll go, okay, cool, son. Tell me where it is. He'll tell me, and I'll forget about it. Because again, I'm a guy who looks in a mirror, walks away, and forgets what I look like. So I, I forget about it. And then he's on me. He's like, Dad, there's a light bulb out. Dad, there's a light bulb out. Dad, there's a light bulb out. And there's probably several. He could probably tell you how many in our house are out right now that I just haven't changed. Because again, it does not affect me. I don't ever notice it. Another thing, uh, Christmas lights, I don't know about you guys, but our family goes all out for Christmas lights. We would put them all over the yard. Our kids love it. We really get into it. We love Christmas lights. So we'll put them all out, and it's a lot. And we'll put them all up. And this year, we put them all up, or so I thought. I look, you know, at one of our trees in our yard around March. I'm like, huh, there's some Christmas lights up there. Oh, well. 
And I, I'm like, I should probably pull those down. But by the end of the day, totally forgot about it. Again, not impacted by my environment. Don't notice things. And guess, I, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but they're, they're still there. It's still there on the tree. At this point, I'm just, you know, I'm like, you know what? It's so close to Christmas. What's the point in pulling them down? I'm just going to have to put them back up. Okay, so this is, this is me, right? This, this is what I do. So I resonate with James's example here. But how often do we do this when it comes to the Word of God? How often do we hear the clear commands in Scripture and we just move on without it ever impacting our lives? How often do we hear somebody teaching from God's Word and go, oh man, yes, amen to that. Yes, that's good. Yes, I agree to that. And then we just go about our lives like nothing ever happened. How often do, do the clear commands in Scripture just go in one ear and out the other? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I'll speak for myself. I, I do this all the time. All, all the time, I'll, I'll see clear commands like, like uh, don't be prideful. Put to death all pride and arrogance. And I hear that, and I'm like, man, yes, Lord, remove all pride from my heart. And what do I do later that day? What do I do? I, I respond defensively when my wife gently points out a sin issue that I'm blind to. I get defensive about that. That's pride. I did this the other night. I had to apologize. I, we do this all the time. Or we'll see the clear command in, in Scripture to be generous. Be generous with what all the Lord has blessed us with and how he's provided. And then we're presented with an opportunity to display generosity. And what do I do? I, I, I choose to hoard and be selfish. No, I don't want to be generous. No, that's my stuff. Or we hear a clear command in Scripture to, to be thankful for all the Lord has done in our lives, to, to, to find peace and contentment in Him. And then what do I do? The first thing that doesn't go my way, I complain. We see the clear commands in Scripture, and we let them go in one ear and out the other. Church, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is what James is talking about here. He says, not only are we supposed to hear the Word of God, we're supposed to let it sink deep down into our hearts so that it actually changes the way that I live. This is what it means to be not just a hearer, but a doer of the Word of God. And that's what I want us to be. I want us to be a church that sees the clear commands in Scripture and says yes and amen to that, and we're going to live that out. I want us to be individuals, people who love Jesus, that hear the Word of God and then do the Word of God. Hear the clear commands in Scripture and then walk in obedience to the clear commands of Scripture. That's what I want us to be. So when it comes to this call to care for the vulnerable in our community, you see how James is built up to that point. This is not just some nice suggestion from him. He's saying, not only should you hear that in the Word of God, but you're to walk in obedience to these things. And part of the clear commands of Scripture is that we are to care for the vulnerable. This is how we demonstrate to the world around us, part of the many ways that we demonstrate to the world around us that we're a believer, that we live for Jesus. So when we care for the vulnerable, it aligns us with God's heart. It gives evidence to our faith. And the third thing is it keeps us unstained from the world. It keeps us unstained from the world. So look again at verse 27. James says this. It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from 
the world. That, that word unstained that James uses here, that, that word means to be pure of character, to be blameless, having a, a spotless record or character before others. So it's a part of displaying our faith in Jesus is to live a holy life, is to live a holy life, a, a life of godly character, a, a life that is not influenced by the sinful world around me. That, that's what it means to be undefiled by, by the world. Essentially, James is saying that we as believers are to have good integrity. We're to have good integrity. And as much as we can, we strive to live a godly life. And look, that doesn't mean perfection, because I, I got news for you. We're going to fall way short of that. That's why Jesus, God himself, had to die on a cross, is because we cannot be perfect. That's not what he's asking for here. So as much as we can, we strive to live a holy life. And in those moments where we fall, when we stumble, when we fail, when we mess up, we don't sweep it under the rug. We don't justify it. We don't get defensive. We don't pretend like it's not there. We confess it, and we repent, and we move forward. This is what it means to, to, to live a godly life. And what James does is he links these two ideas together. He links this idea of, of caring for the vulnerable and living a holy life. He ties them together. And the way we know that is this word that you see there. So he, he says, to visit orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That, that word and in your translations, that word's not there in the original language. In the original Greek language, the way the Bible was written or the New Testament was written originally, that word's not there. doesn't mean that it shouldn't be there. It helps us understand what James is doing here, that these two things kind of go together. But it does show us how tightly James links these two together. He sees them as linked together, as unified in their teaching. He says, part of living for Jesus, displaying your faith, visiting orphans and widows, and keeping unstained from the world. Living a holy life, caring for the vulnerable. These two are tied together. You can't do one without the other. You've got to have both. That's what James is telling us here. So when we care for the vulnerable, it helps us stay unstained from the world. It shows us that our heart, again, is aligned with the Lord, that we're not just all about us or about Jesus. We see this throughout Scripture, and one of those places is, is in Luke chapter 18. Jesus uh, has this story happen to him, this, this thing that happens. In Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, it says this. probably heard this before, but it says this in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 20, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Okay, so what's going on here? First of all, first look, this guy seems like the poster child for living an unstained life, right? Like Jesus says, oh, you, you want to inherit eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. You know, do, these, do these things. And the guy says, I've done all that from my youth. And look, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't correct him. That's, I don't know about y'all, but that's crazy. This guy has kept these commandments since he was a youth. Honoring your mother and father through your teenage years, that seems impossible. That seems impossible. Maybe it's just me, but that seems crazy. But this guy did. Jesus doesn't correct him. But he says, you, you lack one thing. There's one thing you lack. See, for this man, his heart was wrapped up in his possessions. 
His heart was wrapped up in the things of this world. And Jesus says, you want to really follow me? You want to truly follow me? You want to live the holy life that you're aspiring to? Part of that is getting rid of all your stuff. It's selling all that you have and distributing to the poor, caring for the vulnerable. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus essentially tells him, if you want to follow me, you either love me or you love your stuff. Can't be both. Either love me or you love your stuff. And it says that this guy went away sad because he chose his stuff. He chose his stuff over Jesus. So Jesus is telling us here is part of living a holy life is, is getting our eyes off of us and off of our stuff and looking out to the world around us. Getting our eyes off of us and looking for ways that we can care for and serve those around us. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So look at how has God blessed me? How has God provided for me? And our response isn't to go, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. We should say thank you to Jesus. And it might be awesome. But the other part of that is that we should go, okay, how have you blessed me? Now how can I bless somebody else? How can I serve somebody else? How can I be a good steward of my time, my talent, and my treasure to the name and the glory of Jesus Christ? That's what he's calling us to. So the practical step today, the practical application, all this talk about caring for the vulnerable, what does that practically mean? What am, what am I practically supposed to do as I walk out today, as I leave, to, again, to be not just a hearer, but a doer of the word of God? The practical step for us today is we look for needs and we meet the needs. We look for needs and we meet the needs. We look for needs, we meet the needs. We're to get our eyes, again, off of ourselves and into our community, into the world around us. We look for the needs that are there. Who are the vulnerable in our society? Who are the vulnerable around us? Where, where are widows that we can come alongside and care for? What are some single moms that we can come alongside and love and care for? Immigrants, the poor, the homeless, the orphan, those with special needs or handicaps in our society. Like, there are people in our society, in our world, in our community, right here, right now, that are just being cast aside that have no family, that have no friends, that have no people caring for them, ministering them, giving them a voice. We're to do that, church. We are to do that. Let's get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our stuff, and how can we see the needs in our community? Where, where are the needs? Where are the vulnerable? Where are the neglected? Where are the oppressed in our community? So we, we look for the needs, and when we see those needs... We seek to do whatever we can, as much as depends on us, to meet those needs. So what are some ways we, we can meet some needs? One, real easy, be generous. Exactly what Jesus talked about in Luke 18. Look at the ways that you've been blessed. Maybe it is financially. And how, how can you give out of those blessings? Maybe you, you have certain time or, or some talents and some abilities that you can use to the glory of God to serve and meet needs around you. Get creative. Think through, how can I be generous with what the Lord has given me? That's not, like I said, that's not just money. There's a lot of things that the Lord has blessed us with that we can use for his service to care for one another. So be generous. Uh, look for other organizations that are already doing this that you can come alongside and partner with. You know, that's, that's a great thing. The Lord's already given a, a vision and a mission to some really awesome places out there that are already doing some work. And they could use your help. They could use our help 
And look, the reality is, as much as I would want to do everything and all things and, and do all the stuff, as a, as a small church with limited people, limited resources that's just starting out, look, we can't do it all. All right, we got to be real with ourselves. We can't do it all. But what we can do is we can find those organizations who are already doing stuff, and we can come alongside them. Amen. We can come alongside them. We can serve. We can partner with them. And, and again, you don't have to just wait for the church to do it. Like, you don't need my permission to go and, and be Jesus to the world around you, all right? That we're all called to do that. As we talked about last week, how can we display Jesus to the world around us? You don't need my permission to do that. Find organizations, find places that are already doing this and serve alongside them. Serve at a homeless shelter. Get connected to a mentoring program. Or reach out to local schools to, to see what needs they have. What needs are they seeing with their families and their community? Local schools are going to know that kind of stuff. Reach out. Find out what's going on there. Look, look for uh, widows, single moms, especially during the holidays. I mean, can you imagine holidays as a widow having no, no family, nobody to spend time with? Me? How, how can you come alongside and be their family? How can you come alongside and, and help single moms who are just trying to get through the day with their kids? How can you come alongside them and love on them and care for them, especially this time of year? Since it's Orphan Sundays, uh, let's spend a moment talking about how we can care for the orphan. And just so y'all know, this is something that, that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, adoption is a significant part of my family's story. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'll share a lot more in detail and some other times as we continue to grow and get to know one another. Uh, but just so you guys know, uh, part of our story uh, with our family, how it was built is through adoption. Uh, so my wife and I, uh, early on in our marriage, we, we found ourselves a part of a church plant um, that I eventually became on staff at. And in that church plant, it's a lot like what you have today, babies just being popped out left and right. Um, so that's what we were having every single Sunday. It seemed like there was a new baby there, uh, which praise God, we love that. It was awesome. Um, but as people who wanted to start their family, um, it, it became a little difficult on us because we suffered through uh, many years uh, of infertility where the Lord just said, nope, not going to happen. Um, so we were praying through that, we were uh, struggling through that, and then finally, December of 2013, we finally got pregnant. It was awesome. It was so exciting. Six weeks later, we had our first miscarriage. So then that, that next year, man, that was, that was some hard days, those some dark times. I'll just be honest with you, like, I didn't know how to grieve in a healthy way. I finally, through going to a counselor, learned how to do that. Um, but it was a long time. It was a really difficult season for us. Uh, so during that time, we were, we were seeing doctors, we were getting all the tests run, we were trying to figure out because we really wanted kids. We really wanted kids. And I, you know, maybe this is some of y'all, like for us, we, we definitely had a heart for adoption. We, we saw ourselves adopting one day, but, but like many, it was, it was going to be, well, after we, we had our, our biological kids, after we had, did that first, then we'll adopt. So that's what we were working towards. Like I said, we were seeing doctors doing all these treatments, all these tests, all the, all the things that you do when you're trying to have a baby. And uh, so that was uh, almost a year. So November 2014, we got pregnant again. And here I thought, man, Lord, uh, I, that was hard. But look at your goodness. Uh, a, almost a year later, we get pregnant again. And this is, this is how you're going to redeem and restore this situation. Ten weeks later, we go to our doctor's appointment and find out uh, we're having our second miscarriage. So two miscarriages in 13 months, and that was, that was hard. Again, just be real with you, that, that was devastating. That, that, that was really tough to work through. Uh, but in that, after that moment, we, we decided, let's, let's take some time and pray. Let's take some time and pray. Let's take some time to heal and grieve in the healthy and proper way. And let's seek what the Lord wants us to do. We still want kids. We still have a heart for kids. But we didn't know what, what that was going to be. We had doctors tell us that there's, there's no way without medical intervention for you to have a healthy pregnancy. Um, 
so that's what we were, we were faced with. And, and right before we found out we got pregnant again in November, in October of 2014, we went to Bethany Christian Services, uh, had an informational meeting to learn more about their adoption process. So part of our healing, part of our grief uh, was praying, Lord, is this what you want us to do? So April of 2015, the Lord made it very clear that that's exactly what we were supposed to do. We were, we were supposed to start our family through adoption. So we reached back out to Bethany, and the first step at that time was, was going to a series of classes where they would teach you all about adoption. Um, but their rule was once a class starts, you got to wait for the next round. So a class had just started. They had just had their first session. They were going to offer another one until the fall uh, quarter. Uh, and we're like, oh, we had to wait. So we asked, and we just prayed, like, Lord, if this is your will, open the doors. Um, and they just, you know, they just happened, just coincidence decided to let us into that class. You know, there's no coincidence, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, this is all the Lord working. So they, they let us into that class. They let us catch up and learn more. And then for adoption, you get planted with this, you know, giant stack of paperwork that can take you a long time. Uh, there's also a bunch of steps. You got to go to doctor's visits. You got to get certified in CPR, first aid, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's not that we were trying to rush this process by any means, but again, the Lord in his, in his will, just working things out step by step and just made it go really quick. So like uh, by the end of May, you know, you have to give some money. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's like 25 grand to adopt domestically. If you go through an agency, it's double that if you do international adoption. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so we found out at the end of May, it would be about $15,000 more for us to be fully funded. Plus we had to do all these other steps and things like that. So again, the Lord just continued to work that out. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but we didn't have that kind of money just kind of sitting around waiting on us. Uh, so we were like, Lord, what do you want us to do? And, and he saw fit to have us send out the word, and we had people partner with us and give towards adoption, which is really weird and awkward for us, just to be honest with you. But that's how the Lord allowed people to partner with us in this process. So we saw uh, over the next two months, so by the end of August, uh, we were fully funded and had all of our steps done. And what Bethany does, or maybe it was mid-August, I might be mixing up my days, but either way, two months, all that was done. That was completely by the Lord. So the way Bethany works is uh, birth parents come in for services, and when they're ready to make an adoption plan, they see a, a group of profiles of adoptive families, and they select one of those adoptive families uh, for their child to go to. So first, for adoptive families, what we get is we get some information. We get a, what's called a profile request, and then we say, yes, show our information to them or, or don't show our information. And we just kind of set up from the beginning, like, we're just going to say yes to everything, and we're just going to let the Lord work this out. Uh, so... Again, we were fully ready to go by, by mid-August. Our home study was completely done, fully funded, ready to go. And then a couple weeks later, towards the end of August, we get our first profile request. And it's from this family that they're expecting a baby boy to be born around November. And we said yes. We said yes, show our profile. And y'all, two days later. Again, we were told that when you get to that point of being fully funded, all your paperwork done, it takes about nine months to a year. Two days later, Two weeks after all that stuff, we get matched with a birth family. Let's get a little emotional talking about this, sorry. Um, so we got matched with a birth family that was expecting their son to be born in November. Thanksgiving morning, 4 a.m., we get a call from our caseworker who says, birth mom's in the hospital, going into labor, and she wants you there with her. So we go, and then around you know, nine something in the morning, out comes this beautiful boy, Zayden Elijah, and the doctor takes him, hands him to me and my wife, and he's been with us ever since. So this is, yeah, amen, glory to God is right. This is all his work. 
And then just so you guys know how our family was built after that, we were, uh, found out we were pregnant again during that time, thought it was going to end in another miscarriage, and then six months later, our daughter, first daughter, comes out into the world. So we've got uh, Zayden, Livy, and then our newest addition, Myla. She's uh, nine months old. Um, so that's our family. But, but adoption is a key part of our family, and it's very close and near and dear to our heart. We, we have a, a deep heart for the vulnerable. And what I love about this church, I know many of you do too. I know that my story is similar to some of y'all's as well. Um, and it, even so close and near and dear is this to our heart that we've even signed on to become foster parents. So, you know, Lord willing, in the future, uh, we'll be serving in that way as well. And look here, just to be clear, the need is great in this area. The need is great. There, there's roughly 140 million orphans worldwide right now today. In our country alone, the United States alone, right now, there is over 400,000 kids in foster care. Of those 400,000, a little over 100,000 are eligible for adoption today, right now. We need believers in this space. This is part of how we fulfill this command to care for the vulnerable. Stats will tell you that, that around 38% of Christians have considered or prayed about adoption, yet only 5% have. 31% have prayed about and considered foster care but only 3% have or are currently fostering. The need is great. The opportunity is there for us to step in and care for some of the most vulnerable in our society. So what do we do? What are we to do about this? The first thing I would encourage every single one in here, pray about adopting or fostering. Pray about it. We don't know until we ask. We don't know until we go to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have for me? He might have this be a part of your story too. This might be the next step that he has for you and your family. So I would encourage every single one here, pray about adopting or fostering. Look, there, there's great organizations out there. We went through Bethany. I know the Norman family here is going through Lifeline. They do a ton of great work as well. Uh, the foster care company that we're partnering with is called UH4C. They're based out of Loganville, right down the road. Tom, your previous interim pastor, used to be the director there. Uh, so again, the needs are great. Uh, DFACS, Department of, of Family and Child Services, you can go through them. They're, we have a desperate need for, for Christians in that space talk to, to those that, that have walked through this. You can talk to me anytime about this. I know uh, the Parkers have fostered. I know the Wagstaffs have fostered and are adopting. The, the Normans have adopted. Like I said, th this is already built into the culture and the life of this church. Let's continue that. Let's continue to fan that into flame. So pray about, pray about your place in caring for the orphan. What does the Lord want for you and your family? For those that that, that the Lord says, hey, this is not, this is not what I want you to, because I get it, it's not for everybody. I'm not saying that every single Christian has to do this. It's not for everybody. So that's why I say pray about it. The Lord makes it clear that that's not what you're supposed to do. Well, what can you do? You can come alongside those families that are. You can come alongside and support those families that are adopting or fostering. You can pray for them. Pray for them. That's huge. That's, a, that's no small thing. Pray for them. You can financially support them. Again, that's a lot of money. It was just crazy. You're trying to meet a need. You're trying to adopt a kid that doesn't have any parents, and it costs that kind of money. But here's what I look at it. That's, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for the church to come alongside those people and to help them out. Let's do that. Bring meals. For those that are, that are fostering right now, offer to help with transportation, babysitting. These kind of things are, are huge blessings to those who are seeking to care for, again, some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Bottom line is we are called 
to care for the orphans. We are called to care for the most vulnerable in our world. This is how we display our faith in Jesus. This is how we, well, part of the ways that we align ourselves with God's heart. And look, this is a perfect picture of the gospel. This is a perfect picture of the gospel. The Bible says that, that apart from Christ, we are lost without hope in the world. We are in desperate need for somebody to rescue us. And what does God do? God, in his love, comes down and does just that. He rescues people who, left to ourselves, would have no hope apart from God. He rescues us. He saves us. He redeems us. And here's the beautiful part of what the Bible says. He adopts us. When God saves us, he doesn't just do that. He, he brings us in to his family. He makes us his son or daughter. And we are to demonstrate that same gospel to the world around us. And again, part of how we do that is by caring for the most vulnerable in our society. In church, as we, as we end today, uh, we're going to do something. I know this church, uh, the pattern has been uh, to participate in communion in the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. So first Sunday of the month this is what we're going to do as we conclude our time. Uh, and communion, the Lord's Supper, was first instituted by Jesus himself the Thursday before he went to the cross, Thursday night before he was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane, shares this final meal with his disciples, shares the Passover meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he says this in Luke 22, he says, and he, and he took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Amen. So what we see about communion, the Lord's Supper, a couple of things. One, it's for believers only. This is a moment for believers only because it is a moment to remember and to celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen. So we, we, we take the bread that represents his broken body on the cross. We take the cup, the juice, we drink it in remembrance of his shed blood for us on the cross. So this is a moment just for believers. Now, if, if you're in here and you're not a believer, I love you, and I'm so thankful that you're here. I want you to keep coming and continue to be a part of our family, and we're going to pray that that one day you're, you're welcomed into the family of God. And what I want to tell you is, although this time isn't for you, it could be. It could be for you. If you're here and you've been searching, been longing for something, you've seen that this world only gives you destruction and broken promises, if you're realizing that, if you're realizing your sin, you're feeling the weight of that and, and, and you want to find freedom, you want to find forgiveness. You want to find true salvation, true fulfillment and satisfaction. I'm telling you, that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen. That can only be found through Jesus Christ. We're all looking for affirmation, for acceptance, for, for love in this world. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the only one who can deliver on, deliver on that. 
He's the only one who can say, in love, I came and gave my life for yours. So if you're here and you're not a believer, but you want to step into that, I would encourage you, let today be the day of your salvation. Let, the day, let today be the day that you put your faith in Jesus. So if that's you, I would encourage you, in a moment I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us in worship. We're going to participate in communion. I would encourage you to just take a moment and just tell God that. All you got to tell him is, look, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you to save me, and I'm asking you to do that. I'm putting my faith in you, my trust in you to save me, and I want to live for you. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to say, and you're welcomed into his family. You're adopted in. Come participate in communion. Come let me know. Let somebody know today so we can celebrate with you, so we can come alongside you and encourage you and support you in your new life with Jesus. So before I pray, uh, I just want to walk through a, a couple of new things that we're going to do with communion going forward. So I know this will be a little different for us, um, but, but good news is we're going to have a lot of practice because the first thing that, that we're going to start doing as a church um, is we're going to start doing communion every single Sunday. Every single time we gather, we are going to take a moment at the end of our sermon to participate in the Lord's Supper. And, and why do we do that? Well, one, we see this throughout the early church. When the early church came together and you, you hear that they broke bread, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about communion. Every time they gathered together as the early church, they would have a moment where they would remember and celebrate what Jesus had done for them. So church, we want to follow in that pattern. So every time we gather, we're going to have this moment at the end of the sermon to remember and celebrate and participate in the Lord's Supper. So we're going to do this every single week. And here's how this is going to work again, and this is going to be a little different. Uh, we have two stations set up on either side of the room over here. Uh, so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And in conjunction with the scriptures, in conjunction with 1 Corinthians 11, I would encourage every single believer in here, take a moment and prepare your hearts to take communion. Maybe you need to, to take a moment and just pray and worship for a moment. Maybe you need to take some time and repent of sin. Maybe, maybe you're, you're feeling the weight like I did studying this passage, that, man, Lord, I, I do a bad job of walking in obedience to your clear command sometimes. And I just need to take a moment and repent and, and celebrate the forgiveness that you freely offer us through Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. When I, when I pray, take some time, prepare your hearts, take as long as you need to. And as you feel led, you'll go to the tables, again, on either side over here, You'll go to the tables. we got the prepackaged cups ready for you to go. You take one of those, and you can come back to your seat. You can take it right there if you want to. But, but again, as you feel led, you'll take the bread, you'll eat, you'll remember the broken body of Jesus. You'll take the cup, you'll drink, and you'll remember the shed blood of Jesus. And again, this will be as you feel led. I don't, don't want to take uh, rush you in any moment. I don't want to take away from what the Lord's doing in your life. Maybe, you want, again, you want to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you want to spend some time praying together as a family before you take communion. But again, this will be on your own as you feel led. You'll go to the tables. You'll get the elements. You, you can come back to your seat. You can go to another part of, of our worship space here. And, and again, you'll, you'll take, you'll eat, and you'll drink as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And again, we're going to do this every single time we gather together, church. So let me pray for us. The band's going to come. The band's going to lead. And again, as you feel led, you can go to the tables. You can go back to your seat or wherever you need to and take the elements as you feel led. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we, Lord, we come to you as a broken and needy and desperate people. Lord, you tell us in your word that, that we are hopeless without you, Lord. So I want us to take a moment today as we 
participate in communion as we look ahead to doing this every single week, Lord, that we can remember what you have done for us. As Romans 5 tells us, Lord, that, that while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemy, you came and you gave your life for ours. Jesus, we thank you, we praise you for your salvation that you freely give us, Lord. I pray for each of us in here, Lord, that, that we would, as we hear the word of God, every time we gather, every time we open your word in our personal time, Lord, every time we hear the word of God, I pray that we would be people that walk in obedience to the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would stir within us a heart for the vulnerable, Lord, that, that it would match your heart and your love for the vulnerable. Lord, that you would make us a people that, that looks for needs, and you give us the means and the ability and the resources to meet those needs, Lord. I pray that we'd be a church that would be a people that cares for the vulnerable, Lord. Give us eyes to see. Give us strength to walk in obedience. We ask all of this in your powerful and wonderful name.